you know, the fact is, and the ironic thing is, you can't control a good part of this, you know. Otherwise, you're going to be sending, like, signals out messages that are just, like, uh, going to be seen as very odd, you know, to people. That, but the fact is, we are who we are. So it is, though, ultimately extremely fascinating to think about. And it can really help and make, uh, make your experiences traveling be richer and more interesting and, you know, Well, hey there, and welcome to Matamo, a podcast where we share with you and our guests travel topics that push the boundaries in celebration of the human experience. I'm your host today, Greg Traverso, and it's really awesome to be here with you, no matter where you're at, down the street or on the other side of the world. You know, just a little bit ago, I walked inside from being out in my backyard, and I went out there to soak up some of that morning light, breathe in some of that morning air, and test the day, and look around, look to the sky, and see what kind of day it might be, and just look at the beauty of of the early morning. Some wind was going through the valley oak there in my backyard, and flowers were starting to come alive and that morning glow from the sun and just beautiful and it was so peaceful and still and just quiet and I just kind of stood there and enjoyed that that moment and uh wasn't long before my mind started to wander and it started to like feel like as quiet as it is you know standing on this earth and we are like all together, no matter where we're at in this world, listening to this right now in this very moment, we're actually traveling at such a speed that's unfathomable, really, for us. I mean, just the turn of the earth, you know, it's 25,000 miles around the earth is its circumference, and it travels in 24 hours once around. That's a day, right? So so that's a thousand miles an hour right there, roughly. And then we're floating around the sun or traveling like a rocket ship across around this giant circle that takes one year, 365 and a quarter days. And we're traveling at 65,000 miles per hour. Now, if that wasn't enough, we're actually, our solar system and everything in it, we're all together like moving in uh, our galaxy at a speed of around 450,000 miles. So, you add it all up, that's a, around 500,000 miles or half a million miles per hour that we are traveling through space. At the same time, I was in that moment where it was completely still and quiet. So I hope where you're at, you're still and quiet, you have peace of mind, and you're kicking back. Maybe you're enjoying a glass of wine at the end of the day or waking up and having your morning coffee. Possibly you're walking down some busy city street. Uh, somewhere in the world, maybe you're in your car or on a treadmill or just kicking back on your couch. But whatever the case is, awesome to have you here. You know, today I wanted to talk about something that I really find interesting and I love to talk about, and it's the packing list for traveling. Now, don't turn off the podcast because you're thinking I'm going to give you a list of things. Pack your passport, pack your underwear, you know, Actually, those things are always important to have. 
uh, especially the passport and the underwear, maybe a few socks and, you know, some other things as well. And those are obviously essential items. But there's some non-material items that we can pack and think about and um, consider that could really help us have even greater experience that maybe we're used to having when we travel. And so this is a wide topic. It's an incredibly interesting one. It's one that I've uh, thought of for a while. And today we're just going to look at one aspect of that, you know, and a lot of this that we're going to over these podcast episodes down the road is centered around the idea of awareness. And Awareness is just so obviously important, but like one thing I look, look forward to talking about is the awareness of our surroundings, staying safe, using our peripheral vision. And these things that help us when we're out there traveling or maybe when our kids are traveling or, uh, or looking after our families or whatever that we're aware, whether that's uh, in our own towns or uh, traveling abroad. Yeah, so just imagine, you know, the awareness that we could have with when traveling, how important language is and nonverbal communication, you know, is so much a part of that. In fact, they say it's up to 80% of our communication is nonverbal. And I've read everything from 65 to 80% range, but no matter what, it's way the vast majority. And we all know when people say things and you can just tell they're not telling the truth or some gradation of the truth, all that comes out through the body language. Ultimately, you know, we all are good at reading people and, you know, that is the nonverbal part of it all. And when you travel, you really need that to be able to navigate and when you're out in the world to learn more about other cultures. And if you're in a market somewhere or you're traveling to know what's around you, what what does it mean that that person's like, looking at you in that way or pointing at you in a certain kind of manner that seems unusual or, you know, these things are like critical to understanding your surroundings and the awareness I mentioned earlier. You know, I wonder, like just a thought, just like looking back, I wonder how humans were, you know, at the beginning of modern human time, which was about 200,000 years ago, when anatomically anyways, uh, we became modern humans where you could take somebody from that time period, you know, say 150,000 years ago, take them into today and dress them up in our clothes. They would be completely bonkers, freaked out by the world around us. You know, they would not understand it. It would be a completely foreign place uh, anatomically and they would look the same. You know, they were modern humans in the sense of that. And But deep down, you know, they had with them the same emotions as us intelligence. These things have not changed through time. You know, this is the great continuum. Uh, and when you look at history and you realize that, it really gives a lot of rich meaning to history because you can really relate to history when you relate to people and you can relate to their emotions, you know, they of love and sadness and, you know, when they're happy and when they feel anger and all the things that come in our lives came in their lives. So, yeah, even though there's a great divide. There isn't at the same time. Uh, it's a strange thing. It's like I can go in my backyard and be completely still, but we're moving tens of thousands of miles an hour, hundreds of thousands of miles an hour through space. So just, just unbelievable. You know, though, um, the cultures are really based around language. I mean, that, that was like the conduit along with 
tool making and the ability to harness fire, like language, fire, and tools is what kind of cemented human culture through time. You know, but as we look at this now, you know, we start to see, okay, if we can get a grip on our emotions, if we can have self-discipline in our lives, the more we have those things, the more we can control the internal, the more the external comes out in a positive way and we can get through this world in in in, in a much more uh pleasant and, and inspiring way for others. And I think, you know, I look at this podcast as an exploration, uh, bringing some stuff to the surface and as it relates to travel. And uh, so, look, you know, you can read about what to pack, but as we look at these things, let's think about what we um, can learn, you know, can learn, you know, in English, hey, how lucky we are, because we can use this throughout the world. So we can take our English language that is really the third most spoken language in the world. Mandarin Chinese and Spanish are the two of more native speakers, first language speakers, but English is uh, spoken everywhere, you know, not everywhere, but so far because, so far and wide because of its, um, also the lingua franca of the world for business. So you could be, say you're in Singapore and there's somebody from Peru and somebody from Russia, you know, somebody from Croatia, Australia, well, being an English speaker, somebody from Nigeria and somebody from Vietnam and they're sitting around a table doing business, most likely they're going to speak English. They're going to use English as the lingua franca. So what's the lingua franca? That's the language of the tongue of the Frankish people who were in the Roman Empire. The Romans uh, were in the hinterlands of of Gaul, and, and, the, and of course they came across the Franks eventually that um, they warred with, but they they were able to you know communicate through like a pidgin language, and that pidgin language spread around so that they could use it a, la- a way of communicating a bridge language. I mean, even as a traveler, you could be let's say you were traveling through the world somewhere and you ended up around a campfire with a bunch of people. You know, there could be somebody from Mexico, somebody from China, somebody from, you know, New Zealand, another English speaker. And, you know, you could have six, eight people around a fire speaking in English. I mean, that's generally what they're going to speak with. And when they meet somebody from their own country, they'll go back to their own country's uh, language. But, and you could have non-English speakers in that scenario all around that uh, fire they're going to be speaking English, even without an English speaker there. So that's how powerful English is. But we just don't want to let it get to our heads that we have this powerful tool in English. We want to be open and we want to try other languages and we want to use this to reach other people because that's the whole point of what we're talking about here, you know. And I think about this too. I mean, when you have other languages, if you're not willing to have or if you don't have the confidence to try your language skills, even if they're minimal like mine, at least, you know, throwing something out there. And I've talked about this before, but I do like the analogy of a huge pot. And in there you throw, you know, like for me, when I crossed the Congo, I I threw in the French that I, the 400 or so words I learned in French, I threw that in the pot. Then I threw my, you know, Italian that I grew up hearing and the Spanish I learned in school and a few words in Kiswahili, I had learned in East Africa, and I just threw it in there, mixed it up, stirred it up, and then you throw it against the wall. If it sticks, it works. If it doesn't, you use something else. But this will be a topic for another 
podcast, I think, just thought of this, but the idea of confidence as you travel and how important that is in life, but as you travel to keep you safe, to look. Another example of the lingua franca, example of Africa. You know, we have 54 countries in Africa. If we look at Kenya, get a close example of what the power of a lingua franca, because it has the most spoken language in Africa. And there are over 2,000 languages in Africa. And that language is Swahili. Now, Swahili comes from the very co- the coastline of East Africa, Kenya and Tanzania. And it was uh, a language that was developed from Arabian traders centuries ago that would come to the coast to trade their wares with African people that would were Bantu speakers, but then it mixed, and the Arabian uh, language really influenced uh, this language of Swahili, which was a tribal language along the coast. And so what started to happen was this language, because it was one of trade, started to penetrate inland. And so if you wanted to trade, you needed to learn some Swahili. It took time, it took centuries, but eventually Swahili became the bridge language of all of East Africa. And so if you're a tribal member from, you know, the Kikuyu tribe, and there's somebody from, say, Kamba tribe, and they were together, they would speak uh, Swahili to each other. You could even have several um, several pe- people in the same room, but they would just switch to Kiswahili unless they were speaking to somebody from their tribal group. Let me give you an example, and I think this is kind of a fun one. Imagine the town you're in or the city um, or that you grew up in or wherever you're at. Just kind of imagine for a second all those neighborhoods in your town. They have names. You know, the north side, it might be broken up to different ones, south side, east side, west side, central. Okay, and they have names for those neighborhoods. You know, I'm in Stockton, California, and we have all kinds of neighborhoods here. It could be on the south side. You have east side, east central, Stribley Park area. You know, you have Lincoln Village West, Lincoln Village, Spanos, Colonial Heights, you know, um, Country Club, Murata, um, and, and you can just go on and on. But if I may, for an example, if I were to take my town here, Stockton, and we were to look at this as a country. So you have Stockton. Just imagine it's a country. These neighborhoods are tribal areas. They are neighborhoods, and the people that grew up in them spoke that language. So, you know, if you're from Spanos, area of Stockton, you speak Spanosese. That's the language you speak with everyone in your neighborhood, people you grew up with, your cousins, everybody that was there with you as you grew up. And anytime you move out of that neighborhood into another location, you're going to run into people that don't speak your Spanosese. They might speak Maratese or, you know, Stribley Park-esque or whatever the word the word in the language is. So if you get a bunch of people from all these neighborhoods and they come across each other, they'll, they'll revert to the lingua franca, which we could call Stocktonese. So they go to Stocktonese, but then when they retreat or they come back home to their neighborhood and they see, you know, their paisani or whoever, uh, their compadres, they would, you know, go right back to their most comfortable language of their neighborhood, of their tribal group. And it's just amazing how many languages um, people can speak. You know, it's not uncommon to find people uh, in Africa that that speak two, three, four languages or more. Um, Just really, really something. You know, and so you look at really this internal body language and you think, you know, where does that come from? From from our thoughts, from things we don't even realize deep within us. And, you know, then you go to speak and, 
you know, you take a breath of air and then you're going to blow out that air. It's going to come through your vocal cords and then to your mouth and your tongue's going to manipulate that and your lips are going to move to form these letters and through your tongue and lips kind of communicate the language that you grew up with. And then this is going to flow through the air and hit the neurons to someone else's brain, which then, you know, causes them to react and maybe laugh, you know, or maybe cry or or maybe even be surprised and jump back or their face, you know, all kinds of things can happen that, you know, just amazing, this nonverbal communication that things that happen. Then you're looking also at the same time, you got gestures that are kind of, you know, so like much a part of the way we communicate. And, you know, some things like the OK sign, for example, you know, that's just like international and really uh, understood by so many cultures. But then others, it's considered a rude um, gesture in a few countries. You know, so like you have, it's good to know that like some countries, you know, they do this thing with their nose where they point with their nose, like in Papua New Guinea or like in the Philippines, they use their lips a lot to point and, you know, instead of their fingers. And if you point with your finger with other people in some, some cultures, it's an obscene uh, gesture. So you got to know this stuff just to, to know and not to offend. And, you know, then you look at the human face and that's just a fascinating one because it's so expressive. And so many forms of our nonverbal conversation, uh, communication comes out that way. Um, and, you know, eye contact itself is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest. You know, some cultures making eye contact is considered very normal and very important. And, you know, we all think about eye contact. But some cultures, you know, like in Kenya, you know, or East Africa, my experience is that people will look at you and make that eye contact in the beginning, and then it trails off after that. Or in other, other cultures, like in Greece, for example, it's kind of a sustained eye contact, or in South, some parts of South America, like there's a sustained eye contact. And so it depends on the country you're in, you know, and your body movement, posture, how people you know, hold their head, how they stand, how close they are to you, the space between you. That's a very important one. Yeah, that space is, you know, some cultures will want to be very close with you. You know, just in general, you know, people have their own limits. You know, a foot and a half is generally a pretty, you know, about as close as, you know, people want other people to get. But, you know, when you're on a crowded bus and you're just sandwiched in somewhere, in some cultures, they'll put their arm, you know, hand on your shoulder or, you know, even try to hold your hand at times. You know, so these type of things with space is like, just depends on the culture. And in Europe, you know, the further you move north, the more space people have between them. That's just kind of a general thing I've noticed. And then beyond that, you know, you look um, at just voice, you know, and the way we use our voice, the tone and reflect inflection and spacing and, you know, all the things that are timing that we use and how we, you know, use everything in its totality combined. You know, the fact is, and the ironic thing is, you can't control a good part of this, you know. Otherwise, you're going to be sending, like, signals out messages that are just, like, uh, going to be seen as very odd, you know, to people. That, but the fact is, we are who we are. So it is, though, ultimately extremely fascinating to think about. And it can really help and make, uh, make your experiences traveling be 
richer and more interesting and, you know, and I think ultimately that unspoken truth that, you know, the more we do learn about ourselves and think about things we, you know, can make great discoveries within ourselves. And so I have air in my lungs, a lot of it today. Thank you for listening. It's come out through my vocal cords to my tongue and my lips. Hopefully I've done an okay job as it flies out through the airwave uh, of this recording, reaches the neurons of your brain and gets a positive reaction from you, I hope. And if it does, or maybe you've given it a sideway glance or maybe even a laugh, uh, hopefully not a gasp or anything else, but I hope that you'll uh, enjoy coming back to another podcast as we continue down this road. So I'll see you on the other side.